Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. Now, it is Memorial Day weekend, but today is also a special Sunday for the church. It is Pentecost Sunday, amen? It's a powerful Sunday. It is the day that the church was birthed. Uh, We find the account of this in Acts chapter 2, which we're about to read here in just a minute. And um, if you haven't done Bible reading this week, we are basically reading the whole chapter this morning. So this is your Bible reading for the week. Um, But listen to me. I'm telling you, this is going to be a good message. I started prepping for this, and I was going to just do a sermon on this, and the Lord began to show me some things that he really wanted to highlight, and this is not going to be your everyday average Pentecost Sunday. I'm not going to preach wind and fire this morning. And now when you go to a normal charismatic, you know, Pentecostal, you go to a a non-denominational church, a lot of times when Pentecost Sunday comes and we kind of have that background and upbringing, we want to hoop and holler and swing from the chandeliers and have the the spidey senses up our back tingling. You know, we want that soulish excitement on Pentecost Sunday. And I want to strip, I want to strip the soulish excitement completely from the church. Anybody with me this morning? I don't want soulish excitement in the church. I want transformation and change to take place in our lives so that way whenever the Lord moves in a mighty way, it's not just a soulish feeling and excitement. It's not just a, ooh, Holy Ghost, there it is. It is a response to God being in a room. It is an expectation that we come in with, not just waiting for the moment for the unction to function, but rather we come in with such an expectation that Holy Holy Spirit is here and meeting us right where we are and moving in our lives and changing us and transforming us. Listen, I'm way ahead of myself, but it's okay. The the experience of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2 was not the pinnacle moment of the church. It was the starting moment of the church. But we often view Pentecost as the pinnacle moment. When really we can have the pinnacle moment every single week that we gather. I'm ahead of myself, but we'll get to it. Acts chapter 2, though, it's an exciting birth of the church. It's not just a birth, it's a model. It's a model for the church. Now, if you want a title for this series, it's going to be this. You can write this down if you want to, if you're taking notes. It's the transformation room, moving from upper room experience to outer works exampling. That's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about how the upper room experience was not just an experience that was meant to take place and then be forgot about, but rather it was a launching place of transformation and change, not just for the people who are in the upper room, but for everybody that they encountered outside the upper room. And that still stands as the model for church today is that every time you step foot into the door of this church body, I want this place to be a place that you don't walk in one way and leave the exact same way. 
I don't want you to hear the word and walk out and not do anything with it. If you hear the word and you walk out and you do nothing with it, James talks about this. And James says it's like a person that sees themselves in the mirror and immediately turns around and forgets who they are. If you are not a doer of the word, you will forget the identity of the church. You will forget the identity of Christ within you. You will forget the identity and the calling and the purpose that God has on your life because you don't do anything with what God gives you. Think about that for a second. You come and you sit to a you sit through a 45-minute message that is Holy Spirit inspired, derived from the word of God, from God's word, and we take that and we go, "Thanks God, now I'm going to do nothing with it." Think about that for a second. You go, "Pastor, I don't do that." Okay. Sure. Listen, I've been there. This is, that's not, there's no condemnation if you've lived that way and you've heard the word of God and you've never done anything with it. There's no condemnation in this room. That, but, but there's a better way that God has exampled for us throughout the word of God. Amen? Amen. Acts 2, it's a, it's a model for the church. It was birthed, though, in a moment of wind and fire. We see this. The birth was an example I mean, the birth was an experience, but experience is not the climax of this moment. It is a moment that creates momentum for the church to move forward. Listen, every momentum that you see starts with a moment. Acts 2 is the moment for the church. What happens from that moment is now the momentum that is continuing to carry it. And it's so interesting to me how many churches, though, and how many people have excluded what happened in the moment from the momentum that continues. I'm going to show you what happens in the moment. But we will lose the momentum of the church, and I'm going to be real honest in this church today, the church has lost momentum and influence because church has taken the moments that happened in the moment out and we're wondering why we have no momentum any longer. But if you take the influence of the Holy Spirit out of the church, you lose the momentum of his spirit and now you are a great gathering that encourages one another that has community that really is there for one another but you're missing the biggest part of the church that that god gave to us you're missing the comforter the holy spirit you're missing the the dunamis power of god and that's why momentum has stopped amen my phone up here is playing Prince of Egypt music because that's what I listened to on the way to church this morning, y'all. It's about to tell on me. We believe, though, that God has birthed high praise. Amen? For any of you who don't know the story of high praise, it is one that whenever you go through our Next Steps classes, we go into detail about what took place, but I'll give you a quick oversight of what took place. Pastor Chelsea and I were lead pastors. I mean, not lead pastors. We were youth, kids, and associate pastors at High Praise Panama City. Been there for over 10 years. And, I mean, I've been there since it opened because it was my parents' church, so however long that was. And um, what took place is basically a divine door of opportunity through a series of events, prophetic words being spoken and confirmed. The Lord opened a door where there, like we weren't even looking for and dropped something in our lap in accordance to the prophetic word that had come over our lives and over, the, over high praise as a whole. And the Lord opened up a place 
for High Praise Crestview to be, to live, and to thrive, and to be a beacon of light and hope. And I believe that the Lord has called us to this place. The Lord has ordered the steps of this church. God has ordained it. God has placed us here. God has placed you here with us. And we believe everything that the Lord has declared that it will take place over this church, over High Praise Crestview, will come to pass. We believe in a God that is faithful whenever he starts something. Guess what? He's going to complete it. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he's going to be in every single step of our church. As a church right now, listen, we're looking for a building. We need bigger space. Today, we're a little bit low. Last week, we had 181 people. Last week, we had more We had more people in the sanctuary than we had seats, actually, in the sanctuary. And so we're running into this thing, and listen to me. I know this, though. I am not, some people go, are you nervous or are you concerned? No, I'm not nervous, and I'm not concerned. The Lord will open the door whenever it's time, and I'm just walking in the will of the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm waiting on you, and in your right time, you're going to cause us to soar, and you're going to cause us to run. That's the word of the Lord for this year. We can go all the way back to January about waiting and about, about waiting on the Lord, and then you're going to soar, and then you're going to run. Amen? And we're going to do that. And I believe that the Lord has us still in this waiting season, and the Lord's about to open up something, and I believe it. Amen? I believe that. Whatever it looks like, I don't know. I have no clue. Imagine, imagine flying a plane and having no clue where you're going. Welcome to pastoring. Imagine flying a plane, having no clue where you're going. Know where you want to go. Have no exact clue, though, where you're going and where the Lord's leading you because you have it on autopilot, and God's like, I got it, dude. You, you just you chill, right? But then at the same time, the passengers are bickering. Welcome to being a pastor. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yes. Listen. We know, though, that God has, is leading and guiding us, and we, we're, we're just trusting fully in Him, the full way. Amen? But I want to say this, too. Inside the church, and we're going to talk about this in weeks to come, but in order for High Praise Crestview to be who we are, we need you. And that's biblical. Every joint supplies. We need people that are plugged into the house of the Lord, that are planted, that are, that are moving in their calling and their destiny and doing what they're supposed to do. And we see that actually in the book of Acts, which we're still going to read, I promise. We are reading scripture today, amen. Uh, but I, made a, I wrote this down and thought about this. We're gonna, we are going to act like the church. Yeah, dad jokes. Father's Day is coming up. There it is. We are going to act like the church. We are going to be a church of acts. We're going to example that. We want to look at that as our example. Now, that does not mean things don't change and evolve some. We are not still selling everything that we have and giving it to everyone around us. Times have changed some. We, we realize that. We are not going to gather every single day, which, by the way, they started doing. We can't even do that because we can't. Oh, never mind. I won't go there. But listen. If you have an experience, but you don't change, that's emotion. We aren't gathering for a spiny experience. We gather to transform us and our city, and together we gather to further the kingdom of God. Amen. Are you in Acts chapter 2? I gave you plenty of time uh, to get there this morning. Acts chapter 2, let's read this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit, and 
and began to speak with other tongues. Now in Acts chapter 1, you'll find that it's, it, it says that you will receive what? power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the fulfillment of the power being released in the earth. So we're seeing here as, the, as they have the uh, as divided tongues of fire and Holy Spirit fills them, we are seeing power released into the earth right there. It goes on to say this. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We talked some about that weeks ago about praying in your heavenly language. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from un- from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So we have nations basically of the world here represented. And now all of a sudden, they're confused because an experience just took place in the upper room. But now, the people that were in the upper room are doing what? Speaking the languages of the people from other nations. And so they're confused. They're wondering what's going on. Let's continue, okay? Verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear them each in our own language in which we were born? And it goes on to name all the different uh, representation that was there. There's diversity that is there. And go on down to verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now there's a mocking crew here. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. In other words, these guys are wasted. They are drunk. And Peter stands up with the 11 and raises his voice. And says to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third uh, hour of the day. In other words, it's not five o'clock somewhere yet. And but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on what? Somebody say all flesh all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams verse 18 and on my men servants and on my maid servants i will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy now we're going to skip down to verse 38 we're not done yet i told you we got a lot of reading okay i promise you it's all going to make sense over the next three weeks (laughs) and then peter said to him repent And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here it is again. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The the gift of the Holy Spirit comes after repentance. There is repentance first. There's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is the opportunity for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? goes on to say this. For the promise is to you and to your children and to how many? All who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. Listen, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's for everyone. Verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted him, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In other words, they kept having church. In the breaking of bread, they ate together. And in prayers, they had prayer meetings. 
Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, having church, breaking bread, eating Azteca together, going house to house, playing Nintendo Switch at people's homes, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's a lot of text. And we want to break down over the next few weeks five things an upper room transformation should lead to. Five things that an upper room transformation, not an experience, a transformation should lead to. In other words, if you, if you are having an upper room experience, meaning you're feeling the spirit of God, you're, you're, you're feeling that excitement, you're feeling that fire, if you will, but things are not transforming within you. You are having nothing more than an experience, not a transformation. And the whole goal of the upper room experience was for transformation to take place, and that is what happened. I'm going to show you that, this right here. So, five things an upper room transformation should lead to. We might get to two today. Number one is this. It breaks off a prejudiced spirit. I told you this is not going to be your normal Pentecost Sunday uh, message today. If you have experienced the Spirit of God and you have been tra- you're being transformed by the Spirit of God, every spirit of prejudice should be broken off of you. And if you are still experiencing prejudice, racism, sexism, whatever way that it uh, uh, manifests itself, manifests itself, listen to me. You need to go back to that experience and really chew on it for a minute. You go, Pastor, how does this make sense when you look at Acts chapter 2? Well, it says that they all began to speak in what? Other tongues. And they also began to speak in the other languages. Where there was divide, the divide was broken. Where there was language barriers, the language barrier was broken. Where there is race differences and barriers that have been built by man the spirit of god whenever it rushes in your life like a rushing mighty wind every single spirit of racism prejudice sexism and everything else that goes along with it must and should be broken out and broken off your life if not you're not being transformed into who god wants you to be by the spirit of god just say it like this there is no room for racism in the church None. I'll go as far to say this. Don't call yourself Pentecostal if you're still dealing with racism. Because it's not Pentecostal at all. There's nothing Pentecostal about it. There's nothing Christian. Nah, I'm going a little, little, it is not Christian to be racist. It is not Christ-like to be racist. I've heard pastors and ministers, I mean, I, I, I'm going to have to, I guess, step down from ministry because I've literally heard pastors, this is, this is how strong prejudice spirit actually, st- y- y'all go, well, we, there's no prejudice in our church, absolutely, because we ran the thing off, and if somebody comes in here, they either have to get right or they can get gone, and that's not because 
I don't want them to change because the first thing is I want change to happen in their life. I want the Spirit of God to transform their heart, their mind. I want things to change. But listen, if you're not willing to change, then maybe there's another place that you should find because in our church, there is no room for racism or for prejudice, sexism, any of those things to have any kind of way in our house. And as a pastor, I'm called to look over the sheep. I'm called to look over our house. I'm called to look over our church. And listen, I will run off. <laughs> understand the way I say that in a very kind, loving way. I will run off any wolf in sheep's clothing. It is not allowed to stay in this body. But I, I was getting, I forgot where I was going to. I've heard pastors even go to as far as this, that if a man has a beard... As a, if a man has a beard, he should not be ministering. I put my mic down now because I look like a baby without this thing, okay? <laughs> One day I'll be really grateful for that. Right now, I just want to look a little bit older than what I do right now. But anyways, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28, what? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, for you are all one in Christ. Now, I want to go a little bit further into this if I can. Because obviously, there is male and there is female. Right? There's, there's, there's two genders and they're different. There, there is black there is white, there is Asian, there is, there is Hispanic, there is Colombian, there, is, there are different races of the world. And I know there's a, uh, try to figure out a way to say this this morning. The fact is, we are different. Let's say it like that. The fact, the fact is, we are different. But what the scripture is showing us here, and what, is, what happens at, in Acts chapter 2 is that even in the midst of our natural differences, there is the spiritual barriers are broken. There is no different. We, we are one in Christ Jesus. Amen. We are one family. We are one. And for our church, we will be a church that stands for unity among all races. And that's what happened at the beginning of the church is there was actually a stand for unity among all tribes, tongues, all begin, beginning to hear the goodness of God. Amen. There was unity that took place after the ones in the upper room were unified. I'll say that again. There was unity where they were after there was unity in the upper room. If we want to see unity in the streets, we've got to see unity in the church. There must be unity in the church before we see unity in the streets. I'm thankful that we have the incredible opportunity and there's an incredible couple that are here that are there uh, most every time that we're there, too. We are involved in the Crestview Prayer Network here, and some of you may not fully know about it, but there's a group of people uh, from uh, other churches that help lead different things in areas of ministry in other churches, and we get together and we talk about what's going on in the community. They gather for prayer meetings, and you know what? There are tons of different denominations 
and different uh, economic backgrounds that are represented. There are different uh, generations that are up th that are represented. There are different races that are represented. But there's one thing in common, and that is the unity of the Spirit, believing for people to be saved and come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be transformed by Jesus. Amen. What am I saying in this? I'm saying that I love what I see in that because there's unity among churches, not competition. There's unity among churches and leaders and saying we are going to see a change in Crestview. And that's what we need for the churches of our whole city, of our whole nation, to stop being divided over silly and small things that we want to pull hairs over, and, and we want to just argue about, well, I think the Bible means it this way, and I think the Bible means it this way. Listen, I understand people are going to have different interpretations and understandings of the Word of God, but we can all understand that Jesus saves. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And if we can just unify on that and stop fighting over people, stop fighting over that churchgoer or this person or, or this way or this is the way you should do it, this is the way you should never do it, so on and so forth, we would actually see unity in the streets around us. We'd see unity in our nation if the church will actually get unified and stop bickering amongst one another. If the people who go to church together will stop backbiting and bickering about one another and stop causing and sowing seeds of division and talking bad about the person who's sitting across the way. You know, if Andy will stop talking bad about Pastor Chelsea, then a lot of unity will take Take place. I just play. I'm just playing. But the funny thing is, we laugh about that. But I about guarantee you, at one point in time, in, I'm gonna say it like this: in your church-going career, you have talked bad about somebody else that's sitting a few pews down. Because did you see her hair today? I can't believe she went out looking like that. Did you? Did you, can you believe, can you believe that Andy Moen walked right by me without even saying good morning? Y'all laugh at that. This stuff is real. They looked at me, but they didn't say anything. Who knows what's going on in their day? Stop making a big deal about you say something. Like, just you do it then. Like, if you got a problem with it, you do it. You got bickering and backbiting and div division running rampant through churches all throughout the nation. And then we look at our nation and go, I don't understand why it's divided, honey. Well, because you won't stop talking bad about Glenda. Like, you won't stop talking bad about Joey. Like, you, you continue to talk bad about these other people in your church, and you're wondering why in the world there's division amongst uh, uh, different politics, and there's division amongst the races, and there's division amongst the people that are of this nation. It's because the church hasn't got it right first, and the church is supposed to be the example for the world, but unfortunately, the church has let the world be exampling for the church, and we've taken on what the world does and, and call it church and it was never supposed to be that way and it all comes back to we have plucked the Holy Spirit out of the church the Holy Spirit is the ultimate unifier and it will unify us as one body moving forward in what he's called us to do 
Psalm 133 says it like this about unity. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon. And it goes on. And the end of that scripture says, For there the Lord commands the blessing. The Lord commands blessings where there's unity. There's an outpouring of his blessing where unity is present. And listen to me. What's interesting whenever you study that, the way that the anointing oil was made in that time, it was actually made up of a many of oils and spices. There was actually four different spices that were in the oil. There was myrrh, cinnamon, cane, and cassia. The spices were then mixed together in an oil. And so what happened was there was four different oils that came together, very different. But whenever they came together, they made something that was anointed. They literally made something that was anointed. Listen, whenever we come together, the races, the generations, the different genders, male and female, when we come together, we are anointed to do what God's called us to do. And there's a blessing, and God blesses that. Amen? We've got to stop ostracizing people because of various reasons and cutting people out of the church because you don't believe like me. Or you don't look like me. You don't act like me. You don't sound like me. Listen, we've got to stand for unity. Amen? Amen. Number two. This is going to, y'all just, we are only going to get through half of number two. Because I'm not going to keep you here. We're going we're to end at 1130 today. Number two is this. It causes you to see the value of every generation. Whenever you are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it causes you to see the value of every generation. In Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses in this way. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God could have easily revealed himself as, I am the God of you. <laughs> like, I am the God of Abraham, and stopped. But whenever he's revealing himself to Moses, he's revealing himself as a God of generations, that I'm the same God to every generation. From here to now, to forever. He revealed himself as the God of generations. And Acts shows us this. Whenever Peter says up, he says, It shall come to pass in the last days, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. What's it say? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. He's showing value of the young generation. He's saying they're going to be valuable. They're going to prophesy. And it says this, your young men shall see visions. I really want to know what the young men category is and if I'm still in it though, okay? I think I am. I'm only 31. And so I, I think I'm still in the young man category, okay? According to my son, I'm sure I am way too old. Listen, your young men shall see visions. Once again, it is echoing an importance of the next generation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's going through generation. And your old men shall do what? Shall dream dreams. He knew that old people were going to sleep a lot. I'm playing. Pastor Chelsea is ancient of days then. 
That woman knows how to sleep. Listen, that woman can fall asleep. We are, we are heading to lunch. Ten-minute drive. I mean, we are three seconds down the road, and she's asleep. He's echoing here a prophetic word that's already come from Joel, but he's also echoing the importance of generations, every generation serving the Lord together. Goes on even though to even talk about men and women too. He says, my men's servants, my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and I shall prophesy. Somewhat every generation and gender there, both men and, men and women. It's talking about both male and female, but it's also talking about every generation and the generations to come. He says that generations are going to work together to further the church and prophesy. Listen to me. I want everyone to hear this. Young people, I want you to hear this. Older people, I want you to hear this. Middle-aged people, I want you to hear this. Every single person in this room, I really want you to listen to this. There is not one generation that is greater than the other. And the moment that we begin to fall into the trap, because it's a trap, and the lie, because it's a lie, of the enemy, that your generation is better than other generations— we are hurting ourselves in the church. I'm not saying this as a, just as a young man. Listen, when I'm 60, when I'm 70, if I'm 80 and I'm still preaching, this will still be a message that I will share. Because it is the heartbeat of God. And if we miss this, we miss the future of the church. And part of the reason, part of the reason that Gen Z and Gen Alpha that's coming up have a disdain for the church is numerous reasons. One is hypocrisy that is rampant in the church. Don't drink alcohol. But I had an affair with my with my coworker the other day. As a, not me, I'm just saying like this is the stance from the from the pulpit. The pulpit's preaching. <laughs> Listen, she is my only one since she, she, I've liked her since I was like 12 and listen, okay, so it's my only one. But anyways, I'm saying that from the church, the pulpit in America, we have heard things. We have heard things like don't drink alcohol. Don't talk bad about other people. But then that same minister is having affair after affair after affair after affair. It is hypocritical to stand in the pulpit and call out those sins, which listen, or call out things that may be wrong, whatever it may be, and not necessarily just talking about those. It could be anything. Homosexuality. Don't, you should not deal with same-sex attraction and should not be practicing that. Though I agree that it should not be practiced, it would be wrong of me to stand up here and say, don't, don't engage in homosexual behavior while then still going and having an affair with someone else because it's still sexual sin and it's wrong and it's hypocritical and what the younger generation has done because they have more um, uh, um, access to news and more access to the truth than ever before. They now see it, snuff out the fake and want nothing to do with it. So because of generations that have been hypocritical from a pulpit, years and years, that have, been, that, that, have, that have ostracized people based on these things. There's a whole generation that's coming up calling fake a fake and wanting nothing to do with, with God because of it. And inside that same generation and generations before, there's been an elitism thought process of our generation's better than the next. And I don't want my generation, I don't know what generation I'm in, technically. I, I don't think I'm a millennial. I'm the one after, I think. But no, I am a millennial. I'm a millennial. 
And, and that's a whole nother thing. Can we just stop saying like those millennials, dude, we're older now. We're fam. We have families. You looked at the sixth grader and called him a millennial. You don't even understand generations. <laughs> like we have got to shift our focus, shift our mind and stop looking like this on every generation. And we've got to look together and work with one another. Every generation has something that another generation needs. Young people, we need the wisdom of the generation that's come before and done things and messed up. <laughs> There's an old pastor friend of mine, Pastor Jason Barber. He said it like this, it's the wisdom of fools. Whether they're a fool or not, the decision they made was foolish and they learned from it and now they can teach you from the foolish time that they had. Times that they've messed up. Experience. They have an experience that many of us don't have. Young people, I mean older people, you need the zeal of a young generation. You need those people that want to go out and still evangelize in the streets. You, want, you need those people that still press into praise and press in and really kind of encourage you to do the same. Because listen, you, you need a generation that reminds you that you still have a purpose and a destiny and a calling and you're not too old. There's still things that God wants to accomplish within your life, amen? One generation is not better than other. There's a different calling, however, on different generations. There's a different sound. There's a different cadence, we could say, but not one better than the other. We must stop pitting generations against each other and work together. Unfortunately, we have a young generation who often feels like the older generation just doesn't get it today and knows nothing. And we have an older generation that often thinks that the younger generation is uneducated because of their age and experience. I'm not saying that there's not an element of truth maybe in both of those, okay? I'm not saying that that generalization, there's not some things that are true in that. But what I'm saying is this. We have got to work together. And listen, every generation has different sounds and methods. And if we aren't careful, we'll miss a generation because it's different than the way that we're used to it. Pastor Robert, my dad, he's always said it like this. That's the words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before, so we won't do it that way now. Something that's alive is changing and moving evolving you you change move and evolve you do your mindset does how you look does some of you for the better some of you maybe not so much <laughs> at least you think that we gotta get rid of a judgmental and critical spirit listen per per perpetuating generational divide in the form of criticism and generalizations will never produce repentance and correction without relationship brings contempt so if you want the opportunity, older generation, to speak into a younger generation, guess what you got to do? Form a relationship. Because their ears are closed to those that really don't have true relationship. It just creates a frustration. Makes, honestly, makes them want to probably do it more. And we need to do better about correcting a young generation and bringing some change. Before criticizing, ask yourself if you're genuinely attempting to pursue relationship and champion, championing those in a generation other than your own. Young and old are called to work together to fulfill the purpose of God's kingdom. We need to join and do that and put all preconceived notions and beliefs to the side. Preference has played a big part in the generational divide. Right? Well, he wears skinny jeans, so I won't listen to him. 
I'm sorry. I like the way they look on me. Well, he wears a suit for the younger generation. He wears a suit and tie. I won't listen to him because he wears suit and tie. Both of them are problems because there are preference that are driving our principles that we learn. The opportunity to be fed. Listen, skinny jeans doesn't make someone rebellious just like a suit doesn't make someone uh, humble. I've seen people wear a suit and be religious and stuck up and prideful. And I've seen people in skinny jeans be stuck up, religious, and prideful. This applies across many things that we could talk about, whether it's hair, whether it's the way they dress, tattoos or not tattoos, all these different things. It's not about appearance. It's about the heart. And we got to get past judging people based on an outward appearance only. Just because it's not how you would dress or how you would say it or how you would act doesn't make it wrong or sinful. It makes it your preference. And preference will kill generations. It will kill off. I don't mean literally kill them. I'm just saying that we will miss generations if, we are, if the church is driven just by preference. I told you this is a very different Pentecost Sunday message for us. We got to push past preferences of what we like on outward appearance and have to look at inward character. Think about this for a second. If Samuel wouldn't have done that, David would not have been anointed king. How many know the story of Samuel going to anoint David as king? He goes and he's looking, he's like, this one? No. This one? Well, this, this one looks kingly. Nope, nope. David, the least likely... We say this, the runt of the bunch, the one who did not look qualified, was the one that Samuel was supposed to anoint as king. Samuel had to look past the appearance and look at the heart just as God did. And oftentimes, we are so driven by what we want to see, appearance-wise, that we miss what God wants to speak to our lives. We miss moments that God wants to speak a divine word to us because, well, they don't look the way that I would like to listen to someone. You know, they, they need to be wear, you need to wear a suit and tie if you're going to speak to me. Okay, well, sorry. Like, or it could be any way. We could cut that um, in any sort of way. But listen, we cannot let it be said of us that we aren't looking at the heart. We must look at the heart. We've got to stop looking just on the outside. Amen. I'm coming to a close. Y'all stay with me just for a minute. We're going to end at this point. I should, I should get through this. What can a younger generation learn from an older generation? I've said this already, but they have wisdom beyond our years. That's a fact. In my opinion, something our generation needs to learn is to be faithful and little and not expect the Instagram overnight fame. The generations before us have exemplified that because guess what? Instagram fame wasn't a thing. There was no Instagram. There was Telegram. <laughs> right? <sighs> and guess what? Telegram took a lot longer than Instagram. You couldn't DM somebody. But we, and direct message for those of you who don't know what that means. <laughs> But now because of the fast food society that we live in, the touchable social media world that we are in, and 
constant fame being pushed in front of us. We have a whole generation that doesn't fully understand the principle of faithfulness because they see they see the beautiful tree that's blossomed, but they didn't see this ugly seed under the dirt. Ministries and pastors are falling prey to this as well. Where it's, well, my church didn't blow up overnight, so you know what? I must have not been called to be a pastor. Maybe you were called to be a pastor, just maybe your eyes were set on the wrong thing. Maybe you are called to do exactly what you're doing right now, but you're so focused on just being famous that you're missing what God wants to do. And God doesn't want you to be famous. He wants him to be famous. He could, understand the way I say this, he could care less if you're famous, but he wants his word to be famous. Now, if, if you are humbly making his word famous, there is a quicker exalting that takes place. That's scriptural, by the way. Those that humble themselves under the hand of God, they, they're exalted, they're lifted up. Scripture talks about this. Listen, the younger generation needs to learn that things don't happen overnight. You've got to be faithful and little to be made ruler over much. You've got to example continued faithfulness. You don't get a successful ministry. You don't get a successful job. You don't get a successful a career without first being faithful in the little, meaning flipping a burger or whatever it looks like, watching a baby, wiping a butt. Like, start there. You know where I started in ministry? Cleaning the church by myself at like 15. And we have a, I don't even know, it's like a 12,000 square foot or 13,000 square foot building over there at the time. Clean the whole thing by myself. That's where I started. Didn't get paid much, but I started there. Moved on to, I got to do the media in church. Whew, yay. Microsoft Word, before that, it was power, I mean, it was, it was, you know, the transparency machines. Started there. Moved on, progressed, little by little, little things. But every area that I would find, guess what I was? I was faithful there. If you're faithful in the area that you're at, God will open doors that no man can open, and you will step into promise and potential and destiny that God has for you. Amen? What can an older generation learn from a younger generation? That zeal isn't an age, it's a heart condition. Zeal is not an age, it's a heart condition. I understand your body may not do the things that it used to. You're not as good as your once was, but you're as good once as you ever was. Like, I understand, like, things change, your body changes. You can't, maybe you can't stand as long as you used to. Maybe you can't jump like you used to. Bishop Hammond used to say it like this, you may not be able to jump, but you can be a heel-to-toe bopper. If you can't be a heel-to-toe bopper, you can be a side swayer. You can clap your hands. There's something that you can do in worship and in praise. Zeal is not a number. It's a heart condition. Another thing I believe an older generation can learn is that the older generation is not always right. So you, you, some of the older generation really don't like me right now. I'm sorry, okay? But let me show you. Moses. Moses missed the promised land because he thought the giants were too big. Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, like, give me my, my mountain. We're going forward. Let's do the thing. We already looked. We spied it. It's all good. We can take it. We, this is ours for the taking. And Moses is like, no, we're not going anywhere. And so then what happens is the whole generation had to die before they stepped into promised land. Moses didn't know everything. He didn't have everything. Was Moses still a great um, example for us? And he's great, uh, you know, is, is he a person of great faith? Absolutely. 
That doesn't mean just because you are wrong in something or maybe you missed something or maybe you were not correct on one thing does not mean now that everything about you is discounted. And I think that's a, 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 a trap that we fall into sometimes is whenever we're wrong about one thing, we're wrong about everything. Now my word means nothing. No, you just, you miss this. It's okay. There's grace. How do we need to change some of our methods in order to reach Generation Z and Alpha? Well, first let me break down what Gen Z is. Gen Z is this. It's the 7 to 25-year-olds. I think it's actually a little bit older now. But that's the computer and hand generation. They got a phone. They got an iPad. They got something. They got a tablet. Millennials 25 to 39, which I actually think is actually a little bit older now too. I think this was an older study. And then Gen Alpha is 0 to 7 years old. That's the YouTube star generation. Um, says There's a study that was done that says 58% of Gen Z don't believe in God. That's millions people who haven't had a real encounter with Jesus. And we tend to refer to them as the next generation when really they're alive and they're the now generation. And if we don't reach them now, we'll miss it. Nearly 80% of people in churches today decided to follow Jesus before age 18. 50% of the 80% decided to follow Jesus before age 12. Henrietta Mirror said it like this. When you look at most churches, their programming, their staff, and their budget, it appears that children must first become prodigals. Then we will go about putting together elaborate programs and events to save them. Let that not be said of this church. I don't want prodigals. I don't want to sit at the end of the road waiting for prodigals to come home. I want to be a church that children are raised high praise. I want to be a church that children are raised in this house, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, knowing that they have a purpose, calling, and destiny, that Jesus loves them, and that they love Jesus, and they are earnest seekers of his presence and want to further the kingdom of God everywhere they go. That is the kids that I want to see. Because listen, ages 4 to 14, scientifically, they're the most moldable times of a children's mind. 4 to 14. We have got to do better about ministering to kids and children in this day and age. Amen? We've got to do these things. We'll come back to the rest of this. I've got too much notes to continue this morning. But let me, let me just say this, that once again, everything that takes place in Pentecost should be for our example, for us to change and be transformed into who God is calling us to be as a church. And as high praise, we will continue to show forth these first two points. And we're going to finish point two because we're going to talk some more about kids ministry. And we're going to talk more about not hiding the truths from your children. That talks about in Psalms. It says not hiding the truth of God from your children. And oftentimes we like to give kids butter knives whenever God's given them swords. We think a kid can't understand the word of God, but we somehow understand that kids understand Sonic and all the characters. Like they watch the last Disney movie and know every single lyric to every single song of the last Disney. I don't even know what the last Disney movie was that came out, but I'm gonna go all the way back to Moana. We can sit, like the kid can sing. My, my, I'll give you an example. Reagan Luke, Reagan Luke. He can sing like all of Un Poco Loco from Coco. He used to love that movie. Watched it all the time. I don't look at him and go, hmm, I don't think he can fully understand a scripture or two. If they can understand a song, if they can understand what they're... We think kids can know the presidents, but they can't know who Jesus is. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to make sure they have an education, but they have no biblical education because they can't fully understand the mysteries of God's word. Maybe they can't understand everything. But there are things that they can begin to learn at the age that they're at. 
so that they can grow into who God has called them. If you don't start ministering to them where they're at, they will not grow into who God has called them to be. So as a church, we put extra effort into ministering to our kids where they're at now so they can grow into who God's called them to be. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? I know this message has been a little bit different. It's not your normal Pentecost Sunday message, but I'm telling you, we have three more points over the next two weeks that I want to unveil about the transformation room. But listen, as a church, we say we honor every generation and there is no room for prejudice in our church. Amen. We lift our hands to the Lord right there. Lord, we just thank you right now. We thank you for this word today. We say yes and amen. Let it be so in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the transformation that takes place by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we give you all glory and honor and praise for everything you've done today, everything you've spoken, everything that you've said. Lord, we just give you honor and glory for who you are, for everything you've done, you're doing, and you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said...